0: Hey guys, next episode of Sublime Studios Podcast. I don't remember which number, uh, still season two. Today I have someone very special for me and a very interesting person uh, overall. She has lots of stories to tell and she's doing something which I think is very useful and important and will be needed by a lot of people specifically in Bay Area Rachel. Rachel is uh, is an up-and-coming speech therapist and also um, a much wider set of functions and, and things she can help people with. Uh, and she will talk about this uh, in, a, in a bit. Uh, but Rachel is also my own personal speech therapist. And uh, I'm glad that I met you. And uh, I'm looking forward to all the work we will be doing in the future and also uh just to say how much work you've done on me specifically already and which specific which uh which helps me in in doing what i'm doing rachel it's all yours tell us what uh who you are what do you do uh why did you go into speech therapy
1: awesome well thank you so much first off for that super kind introduction i'm so happy to have met you too you're not only an amazing person, but also an amazing client. You always put in the work, um, you know, you just always put your best foot forward. And Mm -hmm. I feel like Mm -hmm. as a clinician, as a person, you can't ask for more, you know? Um, And then, so, yeah, like you said, my name is Rachel Hayes and I'm the founder of Holistic Learning. Um, So what is holistic learning? We kind of take an approach that addresses all aspects of someone's life. So not just educationally for speech, um, you know, you can't just focus on one aspect. You kind of have to look at the whole person um, in order to, I feel like make progress and grow not only in that area, but as a person in general. Um, And so how I kind of decided to go into speech therapy, I was originally a teacher, um, Mm. a special ed teacher. I've been a Mm. gifted teacher. for online schools and in person settings. Um, But I kind of just found there was just a huge gap in um, just in everything. I I felt like I was put in situations that I was kind of uncomfortable with by the administration. And I just felt like my kids were being underserved. And when I say my kids specifically, I mean the special needs population, but I think just kids in general as a whole. There were a lot of gaps in their learning. I feel like we weren't equipped with what we needed to be equipped with. Um, and it was just sad to see the kids sort of suffer. And I feel like it works for some kids, but mm. is that the best model? Mm. I you know, I really don't think so. And I think everyone can kind of agree that the education system in general is just a little bit broken.
0: Uh, I think it's behind on what actually kids need, especially in the modern day and age and uh it takes courage intelligence uh ability to observe uh and also the propensity to act like p- p- people are people like you who can understand what ne- what needs to be done uh and also g- take action on that
1: right and so it's sort of this one you know, model fits all. And that's obviously not Correct. how we learn. You know, yep. we're all unique people. So that just, you know, doesn't make sense. And so I did learn a lot when I was a teacher, but I think it allowed me to grow my skill set in that way. Um, you know, how to align goals and standards and have everything be data driven and, you know, things like that. And I learned a lot from my colleagues too along the way. But um, I actually, my love for speech therapy first began during my student teaching. Um, I worked closely with the speech therapist and I was in a high school setting with um, kids with moderate to severe disabilities. Mm -hmm. So uh, they were in that room all day. And a lot of what the speech therapist there focused on was um, like AAC devices, which is augmented alternative communication systems. So that could look like pictures. Mm. that can look like you know an assisted device, like an iPad or something like that where they have like picture icons. Yeah. Um, but I just thought it was so powerful to give these you know young adults the ability to communicate not only their wants but for some of them their needs. And yeah, that was really inspirational for me. And so that was actually, that's the first, that's where my spark, I feel like my, you know, my interest in speech therapy began, but as you know, it's grown so much and, you know, now I'm going back to graduate school and it's just really interesting to learn about, like you said, there's a wide scope of practice Mm -hmm. for speech therapists. There's hospital settings educational settings yeah um, even other avenues off that like accent modification so there's there's a lot and it's exciting
0: exactly and uh, like speech therapy is not I mean it sounds scary like therapy speech right okay <laughs> like, you like a clinician I going to run like you know like this horrible experiment on so me some <laughs> oh some hospital setting right <laughs> but uh, speech therapy includes a lot of uh, things which you you, you would be thinking about yourself, but nothing not knowing that it's something that a speech therapist would be able to help you with. So, like, um, there there are of course like clinically complex cases yes, where, right, where it's people with special needs, usually kids with special needs who who who, uh, who are limited in the way they can express themselves, and that's why you mentioned. Uh, Giving them all the alternative ways to communicate through visuals, through like you know, like technology and so on is so important. Uh, there are folks say with uh, any kind of trauma in the area of uh, like speech generation production,
1: Mm -hmm. using your
0: terms. So, like, you know, if you had like any like, uh, like head injury or neck injury. And uh, well, you can' talk more about this because you are the clinician, right? <laughs> no,
1: but it's yeah, no, you're exactly right, like in the medical setting, um, if yeah. you have any type of like TBI ta- traumatic brain injury, um, that can obviously affect your speech and the way mm-hmm. your brain sends those signals to um, you know the parts of your mouth and the parts of your body that you need to move the way that you need them to move in order to produce speech that's intelligible mm-hmm. and you know, when you really start thinking about it, it's a lot of nuanced movements that we have to make in order to make all of these sounds, which, you know, we experience during our sessions too for accent modification because, you know, especially like vowel sounds, it's, yeah. it's a hair of a difference sometimes in the way that it sounds, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, there is a lot to that. So yeah, yeah uh, wrapping up my thought on, um, on my previous thought, Everything from like heavy clinical cases uh, where you have to regain or learn something which you never had before, all the way into um, accent removal or modification, not like, I don't think it's like full, full removal, but modification, exactly. right? Uh, all the way into those speech patterns which you probably could have picked up for whatever reasons. So, again, a lot of the speech. Difficulties or disfluencies, uh, as, as we uh, as we call them, uh, come from like childhood times, because what what could have happened and what usually happens in a lot of cases, a child is either showing the signs of difficulties earlier when they are learning to talk, or they are doing fine until some some age. This is what this was my case. Um, so around the age of like nine or ten, I don't I don't really remember. I started to clutter words together. It's a, separate from accent, of course, because well coming from like different language. Uh, um, so there there are multiple layers of things in, in the way you produce sounds, speech overall, which you think about hey, it would be cool to uh, to do something about them, but I have no idea who to go and who to talk to. Counter Rachel.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you. And you know, I feel like something that I always make sure to do with all of my clients is, I don't feel like anybody knows everything, but I think I am always willing to learn, explore, you know, find evidence-based research to help someone achieve their goals, Mm. you know? And I think I'm, I want it to be a team. It's always a team, you know, even if it's a child, an adult, we're a team working towards the same goals, you know? And so
0: yeah very cool so that's basically an introduction on what rachel does uh we're going to put her contact socials uh if you folks are interested in talking to what she can do for you specifically Uh, and uh, i wanted to learn more about uh, how do you usually approach different kinds of clients because you don't you don't work just with you don't work with just with kids or just with adults like in my case but uh i think you have your own like framework or questionnaire on uh, on things that you can do and things that uh, the client thinks they need versus sometimes they don't even know what they need and you just talk to them and listen to them and say hey have you ever thought about this so how do you work with the clients and also uh, a bit later later we can go into um, any kind of exercises, any kind of like theory of speech production so you can get as clinical as you want. I mean, this is a science podcast, so.
1: Um, perfect, yeah. So you're exactly right. I do follow, you know, a certain type of methodology and framework. Mm. Um, so I would say first, depending on, You know, the client, whether it's an adult or for a child, um, I might ask them questions if it's through messaging or however, you know, they found me, um, whatever like platform they had found me through. But um, I also, the next step would be to do a free 30 minute consultation. Mm -hmm. Um, For you, it was different, obviously, because we knew each other. But for people who, you know, I don't know them, I feel like it's really important to start building that relationship, you know, from day one and understanding what, they need and what they want from me. Mm. And like you said, I, you know, if I feel like I'm able to provide that for them and I feel like it's important to build that foundation, you know, from day one. So during that consultation, um, I have just, you know, a few questions and I actually, I normally will send a sort of Google form that they can fill out before, just so I can sort of tailor my, you know, introductory call to, what they've already told me. So then I can ask, you know, further deeper questions into it during the call, but it's fine, you know, if they don't, because it's really just, you know, a chance for us to get to know each other. And I sort of go over, you know, what holistic learning is. We practice strength-based learning, multimodal communication. Um, And if you don't know what those things are, you can follow me on social media. I dive into that a little bit. Um, But these are all just certain approaches that I use with my clients. Um, So we talk about that and then I'll get to know the client. Um, I have some, you know, icebreakers sort of things that I'll do with them. And then we sort of dive a little deeper into what they're looking for and goals and things like that. And then I get back to them and I'll create... Measurable goals that I will data track throughout each session. Amazing. So that way, you know, we're really targeting them. We know Mm -hmm. what we're working towards, and, you know, here are the steps of how we're going to get there. Because I think sometimes it can be so overwhelming when you're looking at this end goal and you're like, I want to get there, but it seems impossible. But, you know, you just have to set goals that lead you. To that end goal you mm. know that would be mm. the long term goal, and then we have short term goals that we can target and meet in the meantime, and then it just seems a lot more achievable um, so yeah, I guess that's sort of my framework you know data driven you know creating individualized goals for all of my clients and their needs
0: yeah, consultative approach, and uh, clearly I think you will get much further by by Understanding what people actually need, and so that's what what I think the opportunity you discovered when you were a teacher because school gives what's what like government or you know some institution believes people need versus just hey, going ahead and asking them. You can't really ask kids because they also have an idea what they need, right? (laughs) But you can observe and you can make uh, some conclusions. Very cool, Uh, I love it, and uh, I'm a a client myself, so you know. I mean, clearly, I wouldn't be um, I wouldn't be recommending something that doesn't work for me. Uh, but my journey is also long, and it's a journey worth worth taking, in my in my understanding. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I and I believe you can do it. I really do. And yeah. but you're you know you're putting in the work, and it can be fun too. You know, and we're we're laughing during the sessions, mm. and you know, but I feel like even after just a few sessions, I feel like I've seen a lot of progress too. So
0: thank you. And I do, I do recognize new patterns that are trying to form. And, uh, very oftenly I have to catch myself because, well, by default, uh, when you learn something, it takes effort to unlearn. And, uh, those, when those new patterns are, tra- are trying to form, it makes sense to kind of explain to people, hey, I'm going to repeat same words in different way. It might sound weird, but I'm just trying to learn the, another way of, of saying those words, you see? And uh, people really people don't really pay that, that much attention as soon as you, especially when you explain what's happening. Um, not so many people actually are willing to step in and tell you how to say this word, <laughs> because they will understand you anyways, uh, and that's why you need you need somebody with uh, with a background and with education and clinical expertise to actually come in and uh, help you with the proper way of saying. So speaking of the proper way of saying words and making sounds, you have the whole handout which you sent to me.
1: Yes. Yeah. Here's a little yeah sneak so peek of it. T-
0: t- tell us a bit more about like. Did you do do all that yourself? Like, how did you come up with all this?
1: Yeah, yeah, I nice. actually, um, I love the website Canva. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever heard of it, but that's where I kind of make all of my flyers and, you know, social media posts and things like that. Um, I actually have a young entrepreneur workshop I recently made a flyer for, and mm-hmm. I'm really excited for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess... For this handout, it kind of touches on how to prevent vocal strain, prepare the voice and body for performance, and it touches a bit on accent modification too. And all of these different categories can kind of blend into one another because Mm -hmm. you're using your articulators, which are like your mouth and lips and teeth and tongue and all of those things to produce the sounds. Um, And of course the way you move, all of these parts of your mouth can change, you know, the sound production. And then you have, you know, the resonance, Um, which is kind of through your nose. It can, you know, you can close your nose, you can sound nasally and things like that. Um, So the resonance kind of controls the quality Mm -hmm. of your voice. Um, And then you have your respiration, which occurs in the lungs, you know, where you take in the air because that's really important, right? Your breath lengths and things like that, especially when you're talking about reading a script. And you, I feel like you probably, and most actors I would assume would, calculate their breath lengths, you know, because you want it to sound a certain way, whether you're portraying a certain emotion. So that can change, like, of course, how much you say in one breath. Um, If you're yelling, if your volume's louder, right, you're Mm -hmm. releasing more air. So then obviously your, you know, syllables per breath is going to be less. So all things that, you know, you can think about and work on in order to improve your vocal quality and vocal performance for you know whatever it may be for.
0: You are right. Um, I can go into specifics of uh, like acting activity and why it's a bit different from like natural speaking, natural talking, you see? Primarily because you know you know what the what your partner is going to give you, maybe not exact words depending on the genre, uh, but usually you next line is not isn't a surprise. That's why you have some time to prepare and you say, "Hey, I need more air because I'm going to produce this or that." So you kind of know what is going to happen next. Um, it comes with its own specifics, but overall. Lines don't really mean as much as uh, they mean in the like u- usual interaction. Like say when you do, when you say when you texting or you are using any kind of form of digital communication, that's where lines are becoming more important. While acting is all about saying things without words, so w- words are there to kind of keep the structure to the scene. But what you're adding on top of that is where the 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 acting craft comes, c- comes through. Uh, so the basically s- uh, what I'm trying to say is your lines need to be automated and perfect for you to advance, for you to be, uh, to be successful on this. Uh, and there are specifics. Uh, but you also mentioned a lot of components of the proper voice production, p- proper speech production. And uh, I wanted to kind of... De- uh, de- dive a bit deeper and break it down, so it's not just what you do with your mouth, tongue, and lips. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. everything starts with uh, with well, but the posture, with the alignment of all those organs and the diaphragm. Diaphragm, right? So you can even change the change the way you you sound by uh, say changing your posture, or you know, like changing. Uh, the position of your body, you see. Uh, and that's even before we talk about the dia- that diaphragm position. Um, diaphragm is is this primary muscle that pumps the air through. So diaphragm is there to either create, create um, vacuum mm-hmm. in your ribcage, which makes the lungs expand, right. or it's, it does the opposite. It basically pushes on your lungs, and it's like it's, it becomes a pump.
1: Yeah, exactly Sim- up and down,
0: right? Right. And uh because all all the all the life beings and human beings specifically are very complex biologically, there are a lot of alternative ways to make sound. And you have to kind of uh feel your diaphragm and learn how to use a lot of it to produce the most um, the most powerful stream of sound. It all comes from uh, your ability to pr- produce air. Yeah. Uh, If you have steady flow of air, it's much easier to articulate on top of that. And that's what I learned, actually, uh, from Sierra. Sierra uh, um, was, because my insurance insurance doesn't really cover them anymore. Uh, But Sierra was uh, the speech therapist who was uh, focusing on other areas of dysfluencies. And she explained all those things to me that uh, in a lot of cases, my issue was that I wasn't properly breathing And I wasn't giving myself enough air to finish sentence or word, and that's why I was trying to finish it earlier than I I should be.
1: And then you know, trying to cram in all those words.
0: Correct. Yeah. So okay, um, can you do you have any specific advice or exercises on even before we get into breathing? Breathing is a huge topic, and it's yeah. it, it's not just for speaking, but also for your like. Well-being and uh, uh, overall, there is lots of connection between the way you breathe and what you feel. Uh, there are lots of nerves. Well there it is a uh, vagus nerve which connects uh, Wow. Your, your brain to uh, thank you your brain to, uh, to your throat. but it's,
1: I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm really impressed.
0: It's, it's a, uh, you know it's a weird one. It's a weird one because it goes all the way down.
1: It actually goes through the um, through your heart almost. It go, right. Yeah, and it and yeah, you're exactly right. It's one of the biggest ones, and it actually um, intertwines with like your GI, your right. um, heart, your cardiovascular. Right. And so you're exactly right. It is. It's it's important.
0: Right, and you know why it happened. It it would be weird uh, to have a nerve which innervates your throat to go all the way down to your stomach and back. Right. Like, how how on earth is this a good design, right? But, okay, so what happened is, if you look at fish, fishes, mm-hmm. uh, fish has this nerve that connects their brain and throat straight. Hmm. You see? But also what ha- fish has, that humans have very differently, so their gills are right in their head. You see?
1: Right, right. So
0: that nerve goes through their gills to their throat.
1: Oh, my gosh. You see?
0: With humans, though, those gills moved all the way down. Yeah, into the body, and we developed a neck, and the nerve moved with the gills all the way down. You see, it just happened that way.
1: That's amazing. That's
0: one of the reasons why this vagus nerve is so weird, but also so important. That it innervates a lot of, a lot of organs uh, on its way getting to the throat, and you have uh, a lot of those physical reflexes. Which make you feel in a specific way, say, you know, when you feel scared or mm-hmm. you feel a really strong emotion, you feel like your throat gets tense, yeah, right? But also your heart may, may give you palpitations mm-hmm. or and your it breathing up right, or your breathing changes because it's very same nerve, yeah, you see okay, sorry, sorry to probably no, you, should that's be, great. you should be telling this no, you know?
1: i'm I'm so impressed, and yeah. I feel like. You can always learn from someone and you know you never know someone's knowledge because you know, apparently that's supposed to be my expertise, but you actually know you know a lot about it too. And And it's just I, I love talking about it, obviously. I'm you know pursuing that, and mm-hmm. um, I, I love it. And I've been learning a lot about the anatomy and the physiology behind it and sort of the why. People experience these, you know, speech disturbances, you know, what happened and yeah. what happened to the brain, you know, where, I guess, along the way is the connection being lost, you know, why is someone not able to do certain things? And I think that's fascinating. I think it's super important too, because that will also affect um, your method of treatment too.
0: Exactly. Um, it's very specific to each individual case. Yes. And uh, understanding, where it's coming from is part of the of the of the therapy.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly the case history and yeah. and also a lot of times, especially for these more complex cases, you know, like you're talking about, there's always a multidisciplinary team, you know, that you collaborate yeah. with because there's so many different experts that need to um, sort of review the case and give their input because you know it's a complex thing and. You know, there should be more eyes looking at it. And, you know, especially with the mouth, I, you know, for people who have cancer, you know, that obviously mm-hmm. if you have surgery, there's the oral surgeon, there's someone yeah. who's going to do the skin grafts, you know, the cosmetic part after the fact, if they had, you know, some of their tongue removed, but, you know, the speech therapist is involved in, mm. you know, those types of cases as well. So, but, you know, like I said, there's so many other team members that can, make that recovery possible and you know to think about what type of interventions and treatments are going to be best for that specific client.
0: Um exactly. Um okay, so let's uh, let's get back to breaking down the way we produce sounds and speech okay. overall. And uh your first component of that and th- 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 there is a whole like set of exercises and I think we should have this panned out somewhere and publicly available so people can download. Yeah, totally. If
1: you, if you go to my website, actually, and you uh, um, put in your email, it'll be sent straight to your email.
0: Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you give couple exercises to help with alignment of your body, basically. Yes. Uh, and one of them is uh, like, you, you You should probably tell more about this because i honestly I, I didn't do them. Maybe I should have before the podcast or we should have been doing this together (laughs) and (laughs) you know what
1: I'm thinking about making a video of these two so I know you mentioned that that would be helpful Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking about making a YouTube channel we'll see but regardless um, I'd be happy to make a video that kind of goes over these positions. I tried to lay it out in the handout. um, Mm -hmm. Like for example, this one's a really common one, the semi supine. So you lay on the floor with your knees up. So you're on your back and your knees are up and your soles of your feet are on the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you put like a small book or just a little elevation. underneath your head, and then your hands on your chest and your stomach. So one on your chest and one on your stomach. And then you just breathe in and out, feeling it expand and contract. Um, And then, so like we talked about, this promotes breathwork coming in, not only in like the rate of the breath, right? You're breathing in, you're out, but you're feeling your diaphragm, like you said, rise up, rise down. And that allows your like cavity essentially to open up. And so that way you can take in more air too. for whatever type of production you're about to do. So you're warming up that part of your body and then mm. your spine is of course flat on the ground. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, and like you talked about before, alignment is so important. So that's the first one. And then the next one is helium balloon. So you start from crouching on the floor and then you slowly roll up and unfold. So it's kind of like what you would imagine. Um, like a balloon would do if you let it go. So you're down like a balloon and then you slowly roll up. And essentially that's warming up like all parts of your body for, to have optimal alignment. So you're starting crouching with your spine, you're stretching your spine and then you're slowly rolling up. So um, again, for alignment and body work and then.
0: Uh, Yeah. And that would make sense because um, partially what you're doing is you're trying to make your, breathing pipes straighter
1: mm-hmm.
0: and shorter because of this. As soon as, as, soon as there is some kind of bend that they need to do, it all slows down the airflow. And well, you can't do much about changing lots of physics. The shorter <laughs> is the pipe, the stri- straighter is the pipe, the 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 less the pressure is in the pipe. You see? Mm-hmm. And you can push more air through this pipe. So it's, uh, if there are any reasons for the for the air to be slowed down even before it gets to your mouth this will take away from your production capacity Mm -hmm. so that also helps with it's similar to what say uh vocalists and singers are doing
1: yeah it is yeah
0: yeah because for them they have to be loud especially if you do like theater and uh, and opera
1: and they experience a lot of vocal strain i mean most Uh singers have had surgery Honestly, too. Um, Because
0: of the vocal cords, strain, overuse. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: And not enough rest, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But they all do exercises like this Mm -hmm. um, to not only prevent, but also to help too. um, But yeah. And then the final one is basically the same as the helium balloon, but you actually add. voice to it so you can softly hum. So that kind of helps start con- oh, like uh-huh, bridging that uh-huh. gap of your body and your voice, so.
0: Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. Uh, and how often do, do you need to do this?
1: I would recommend every day, but I would say especially before you're getting ready for any type of performance where you really Mm. want your voice to be as optimal as possible, where you want your articulators to be ready, you want your intelligibility to be at its highest point, um, your volume, just every part of your body um, like ready to go if you're looking to have just optimal performance, I Mm. guess.
0: Mm.
1: So it can be before even acting class. Because you you can't really do that right during a performance or a production. There's not enough time. There almost is not right. Enough you know, time, yes. To be able to think about that and then try to fix it. It almost has to become, like you said, muscle memory. Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: Uh, yeah. So I mean honestly when you when you are on the set and the camera is rolling, you are not thinking about how do I say lines. Because no, oh no, yeah. You, you go over your emotions. <laughs> Right. You see, and it's a it's an experience which takes you out of your like reality and puts you into this imaginary world where you are somebody else. And it can be can be scary depending on what kind of technique you're using. And I don't want, to, want this episode to become a, like an acting episode. But
1: No, it reminds me of sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but that show Barry. I don't know uh-huh. if you've watched that. I don't sounds, know. If you've seen sounds sounds familiar. That show. But it's, it's about it's about acting. He's I mean he's not that you're a serial killer, obviously, but he's a serial killer, but he wants to stop being a serial killer to pursue acting. And it's it's, just, it's a hilarious show, but you mentioned some of the techniques depending on, and his acting yeah. coach has sort of an intense technique that they use to get you into the emotion. So just reminded me of that.
0: Yeah, depending on the school, there are three major schools in, uh, in, in acting. And depending on the school, you, you can go as extreme as actually submerging yourself into uh, into your character. Yep. and l- spending substantial amount of time years sometimes in the environment of your character mm-hmm. you see so you can imagine that, that that's it's not the time to think about how do I properly breathe right <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: definitely not and I think then you yeah. lose that authenticity factor you know like you were saying um, but basically just to kind of round out the handout we can mm-hmm. go into you know more of the categories if you want but Like I said, they're the four systems, right, to produce sound. So respiration, Respiration. where it starts, and then, um, sorry, respiration, and then phonation, so kind of like in your throat area, Mm -hmm. and then... um, Resonance is like your nose and the quality of your voice and then articulation, like with your articulators to produce
0: clarity, right? Clarity, Clarity exactly.
1: But the exercises kind of address each of those systems Mm. and how to warm them up and how to get them ready to like all work together to produce that quality of sound. So like we talked about the alignment and body work exercises for respiration, um, exercises for resonance and then air support and then finally articulation so mm. and yeah. then there's I guess some stuff on also accent modification to tie into at the end
0: as soon as you get into performance kind of uh, activity and, and and trying to pick up skill modifying the accent if you have any or picking up additional accents is basically a way to expand the range of your of your possible roles. Uh, totally. And therefore, and by the way, I don't don't really believe that uh, accent is is any kind of uh, obstacle for for clarity. It's more about the tempo. And uh, I had I had this conversation with somebody else before, from my acting school actually, that. It's all about uh, the, the, the pacing mm-hmm. of, of the way you deliver words. And it's more about um, taking pauses and having enough breath between, between the necessary components of the, of the sentence. So you break down sentence. So there is this um, amazing exercise, the pausing, remember? Mm-hmm. Can you yep. talk about mm-hmm. this?
1: Yeah. So when you learn where you're supposed to take your breath, that can be extremely helpful, especially if you're reading a script, you know, that's where it has to start, obviously, from reading. And then that next level hierarchy is um, conversational level. But, you, you know, you'll start with the reading level and things like commas periods, mm. when you're listing things, you know, you're going to use different breath work for all of those scenarios. So like you said, you can learn these things and then eventually they will become more automatic in your conversational speech. Yeah. Um, but I think it really helped improve your speech. And like you said, it's not just the accent modification, right? Doing things like slowing down, yes. taking those pauses, maybe even like we've been talking about over-articulating, right? Because even if your accent's still there, if you're over-articulating and you're talking slower, anyone is going to be clearer, so.
0: Right, and like to me, that became became a tool as well. Um, and generally, if you speak slower, especially when it's a setting of like public speaking, speaking slower is a way to, Emphasize the importance of what you are, what you are saying. Yeah, as well as it gives additional, uh, additional clarity to, to the delivery. If you look at anybody who has, um, who is performing public speaking, be it a conference like TEDx or be be it just a setting like a lecture, a setting where you would rather say it once, then, you know, Go going over and over again, the best thing you can do is to slow yourself down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and that's what I had to learn uh, f- from lessons with you and, and Rachel. i oh, sorry, not... Sierra. <laughs> Ra- Rachel and Sierra. Yes. Um, so that's about the tempo. Uh, accent is... It's more of a flavor yeah. to the way you deliver... Uh, your, your speech, but it also sends a lot of additional signal. And when you are trying to portray a character, if the character is, I know, well, I don't want to pick up specific specific um, biases, but if a character is supposed to have one kind of accent, but you have very different kind of accent, right. it just doesn't add together. So in when you' doing when you're going through casting, you will be able to land the roles which are asking for an accent. Mm-hmm. But if you are limited uh, by your accent, you will only be able to land those specific roles. And you won't be, you won't land roles which, uh, which require somebody more generic.
1: Right. And I think it goes back to sort of what you were saying about what makes a good actor, actress, right, is being able to step into those different roles yes. and an accent can be a large part of that, right, where you mm-hmm. come from, what part of the world you come from, even within the United States, we talked about, you know, people from the South have a different accent, from people from California, from the East Coast, you know, and even then everyone has their own flair of how they talk to um, in English, right, you know, we talked all about that, but I think if you are able to gain that skill, and like you said, it's mo- Or, you know, like we've been saying, it's modification, learning how to modify your accent, Mm. not to reduce any accent or do anything, but be able to flip into those different accents um, can be like super powerful for actors. Totally.
0: With California, you just need to drop the T. Drop the (laughs) T? You know, like Monterey.
1: Monterey, Yeah. yeah. Sacramento. Sacramento, what, yeah. is, what is the T, you know? No, yeah, there is, no, those <laughs> two, the T is non-existent, yeah.
0: Yeah, and those are tiny things which, which make overall perception of somebody who, uh, who talks in a specific way more engaging, more interesting, that's why it's so important for anybody who is uh, in, in performance industry. Like, I wish I can actually drop my accent and, uh, you know, and then go back to it.
1: Well, and, you know, that's you know? the thing. I can see you do that on the word level. That's where you're at. Like, what, I don't remember what word it was that that you fixed earlier when you were setting your equipment up. But I swear when you said the word and, and self-corrected, it sounded like an American accent. So you're not quite there at the conversation, but you're getting there.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's this pair of uh, hit and hit.
1: Right. Exactly. But that also like it's the T as well at the end, you know, and that's why the word level can be difficult because it's not only the vowel, oh. but also the T. But you did great. That's what I'm All saying. Right. You know, you know, but even with that one word, how many different things do you have to think about? Right.
0: I and have to think about this. Yes, A lot.
1: Not only the I, but the T and the, <laughs> and, the, and the volume and how much air you're pushing out. Mm-hmm. Right. But but that's what I'm saying. I mean, we've only had a few sessions and now already you are sort of maybe not automatically, but if you think about it, you are able to drop the accent and have almost an American accent. I swear, when you said that word, I was like, wow. <laughs> if Thank I closed you. my eyes, I, I wouldn't think it was you. Thank you. So.
0: Yeah, those are examples of what a speech therapist can do to you, for you, and to you. <laughs> yeah, and um, you can take, I know, decades. of just trying over and practicing. Or you can you can take a very guided, directional approach to what you need to change, and it will feel, feel weird. Like like honestly, when I started to like over articulate, and do a lot of those like uh, like lips opening, right? Like those muscles which move the lips back, back. You see, they um, they I I felt them because I I, I never used them as much. So the the face might get sore at some point.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And you just, and that's the thing, like you said, it's a guided approach because you can also practice the wrong thing too, Mm -hmm. you know, because there is, if you're not producing the correct sound that you're looking for, and there's no one there to tell you that that's actually incorrect, Mm -hmm. you could be forming, you know, potentially like wrong habits and wrong patterns and wrong muscles, you know, that you really shouldn't be using or or needing. So, Mm Um yeah, like you said, a guided approach and as a clinician, I know the hierarchy of tasks and goals that we need to do in order to reach that end long-term goal. You know, you start with sounds in isolation and then you move to word level, you move to sentence level, paragraph level, conversation level and you focus on, you know, different things like rate of speech. It's you know, mm-hmm. not only Pronunciation for sounds, but like you said, syllable stress, word stress. You know, we, we do that for homework. In what part of the word, what syllable should be stressed? You know, how do Americans you know say that? Because that can change and affect your accent and your overall production and, and natural flow. Um, but also, I think, like you said, it when I told you, you know, articulation, It's something that sounds so simple, but it's not something that I think you potentially would have just done on your own.
0: Never. Uh, you know, so like honestly, when I started to think about what what to do and how to modify the way I talk, the resources were just very uh, confusing. On like, where do I even start, and how exactly I should be, I should be doing it? And uh, like, I've been doing those like articulation exercises, like, you know, this, like lip trails and, uh, like, you know, all those, uh, sentences which, which exercise specific, say, sound, right? Or letter or, you know, whatever. And it didn't really help much, you know, because it, it it's not where the issue is yeah. for me. And that's why it's so important for, for a clinician to first get a really good, Scoop of the of the of the client, right of the of the patient, right uh, to understand what's going on and uh, whether the patient has a good understanding of where the issue is, or they also need help discovering this. Exactly. You see, totally. Yeah. So I've been doing those uh, like tongue and lip exercises myself because you can go like on, to Wiki, uh, on, on Wikipedia find an article about like. Uh, vocal clarity, speech clarity, yeah. and uh, they will tell you, "Hey, go and do those exercises and then you you sit you sit and do those exercises. So the funny part is uh, uh, there is an exercise where you take a pencil, you put it you know between your lips mm-hmm. and then you try to say like a po- poem, for example. yeah, you know, and it will sound weird because uh, like your lips cannot close, so you're not not able to produce sound because of this pencil. But when you remove the pencil, it feels easier.
1: But that's because yes. you're working those muscles, right? You're Correct. warming them up. And I think there's a similar exercise in the handout because then you're yes. warming up other parts than just your lip and you're having to essentially over-articulate in yes. a way. So makes total sense. Exactly. Yeah. And I think also, I think a big thing, one of the biggest things it comes down to is everyone has this end goal in mind. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times Mm -hmm. it can seem really daunting and understanding the steps for how to get there can be overwhelming. And then you just don't even, you're not even necessarily targeting it or you're not consistent, you know, but having a clinician there can take some of that worry away because you're making gains, you know, you're meeting goals, you're meeting these objectives or short-term goals that eventually will lead you, it's like a stair step will lead you to that final goal, you know, but it's obviously a lot of times it's not gonna happen overnight and that's okay. But having a clinician there that knows evidence-based practices and interventions and you know, how to create goals and set you up so that, you know, one day in the future you can get there. And it, you know, Mm. so I think that's also a big piece of it, you know, of having a speech therapist or, you know, a mentor or something like that.
0: Yeah. and. like to set expectations right uh, when you work with a speech therapist, like okay, so my, my specific issue when I started to work with uh, Sierra was uh, the pacing and the, the the cluttering, so yeah, which is mm, kind of like starting the next word before you finish the previous word. And uh, she explained it better than I'm explaining.: No, I think that was exactly. I did see major progress on that after maybe first 3 4 months. Yeah. And we were meeting every week. So it is what it is. 12 to 15 weeks mm-hmm. sessions to start seeing changes. Right. And I'm still not perfect of course, but I I I was given all the tools to de- detect The disfluencies, and I was given tools to deal with them. That that unfortunately causes me to speak slower than average average speech. And when I'm talking to somebody who speaks normal, who is fluent and also very fast, I just don't catch up. But it's better than having people not being able to understand me at all. So this is uh, it's all about the baseline. So.
1: And that's not to say that one day you won't be able to increase your rate of speech, right? It's just for right now, that's, you know, the part of your journey that you're on right now, you know, but, but like you said, yeah, it's better to be intelligible and have people understand you because a lot of times people won't be like, what, Mm -hmm. I didn't hear you. And that's another benefit of having, you know, a speech therapist there because they're going to be more honest with you. You know, we're Mm -hmm. a team working towards a goal. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be mean, obviously, but I'm not going to sugarcoat if I didn't understand something you said or if I think by doing this, you know, you could sound more clearer, which someone, you know, your friend's probably not going to, if they didn't hear a line of what you said, you kind of just, and I think we're all guilty of that, you know?
0: <laughs> you had this, this, uh, this habit of raising your hand, remember? Where I was saying something you didn't fully catch up and you had me go back and redo it in some other way. Mm-hmm. And the joke which... I think we should have done, but we didn't do because, well, I changed insurance too early, is uh, I should have both of you follow me into like a <laughs> grocery store <laughs> and raise hands. <laughs> <that. laughs> <Would> you? <laughs> you know, the cashier like, who are those ladies? They look weird. <laughs> yeah, well, and actually,
1: you know, I do do that with some of my other clients when you do like community-based learning and stuff like that, not huh? necessarily the hand-raise. But, you know, that's a part of, you know, some types of mentorship, but it is when you're ready to use those skills that you've learned in the community. A lot of times in therapy, that is the next step is you go into these community based settings, sometimes with the speech therapist. So that way you're getting real time feedback of Mm -hmm. how that went, you know, because like we said, the cashier might not say something, you know, and. It just makes it that much more functional, which is a big part of what I believe in holistic learning and what speech therapy should be in general. Um, It should be functional. It should relate to the interests and, you know, experiences that the client has, you know, it's all needs to be individualized. And, And when it's more functional, there's more motivation from the client engagement, right? Because they're working to something that matters to them.
0: Because they see changes in themselves and those changes are generalizing
1: right exactly what i
0: mean is that exactly. the f- the first thing i mentioned is that my my improvements started to show up at the se- at the sessions themselves you right. see so it's it's very controlled and local environment very controlled environment where you're meeting with people who want you to show changes and that's why you're fully uh, fully confident that you should you should um, Uh, Accelerate, and you can make mistakes. You can make mistakes, and those mistakes are going to be rewarded, because those mistakes are a process of changing
1: and learning. And exactly, yeah.
0: While when you step out outside of the therapy and you deal with uh, regular, uh, like, pressure of societal pressures and common situations, this is where it's somewhat more difficult. Yeah, to apply all the new learnings, and that's why I think this, you know. Walking, walking behind the person and raising the hand <laughs> would be a very cool thing. Gosh.
1: Um, no, I just wanted to say one more thing, um, mm. specifically, you know, about working with you, too, which I'm not sure. I'm sure you know to some extent, but just from my lens and my eyes, I feel like I have seen your confidence mm. and self-esteem grow so much from the first session that I, you know, saw you. And you. I think that can also be a huge benefit to having someone guide you, you know, through this process is that, mm-hmm. like you said, you know, mistakes are rewarded, we're learning, it's a process. Um, and I think as a person, I've just seen your self-confidence around your speech just grow tremendously. And I think that's great. You know, there's not as much like negative self-talk surrounding it, you know, like you said, it's it's a modification, it's not that it's wrong. and And just in general. So I think that's also great. And it's great to see in clients too, to see them just happier overall, because I think that increases your quality of life tremendously, you know.
0: Exactly. And uh, I think another important component of therapy is having uh, a clinician to help you understand how much of your... uh, well, I don't want to call it a disability because, well, you're quite able, right? Yeah. You're very able, right? How much of those specifics of the way you talk are because of your like physical, biological structures uh, versus how much of it is in your head? Say, low self-esteem, low confidence, f- uh, this you know, fear of failing, yeah. you see? So all those things which you have to, firstly, understand if you have them, and that's where a clinician comes in. Cool, folks. so Rachel has a lot of tremendous advice and uh, really cool techniques and, and tools in her on, on her belt to you know to address pretty much well, I can't say any, but a lot of very complex cases. So mm-hmm. if you feel like you want to uh, learn new ways of delivering Uh, your ideas, learn new ways of conveying yourself or you have this very nagging um, behavioral pattern which you want some help with uh, addressing or maybe somebody who will tell you, hey, this is fine, this is part of you, you are the happy, happy, beautiful creature, just go on. How can people find you?
1: Okay, I just want to say I love how you put that. I just really love how you put that and how you described, you know, what I'm trying to provide to people. So that was really great uh, to hear it from somebody else. Um, But yeah, so you can find me a number of ways. Um, First off, you can find me on my website. It's just holisticlearning.online. And then there you can find my other socials. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. um, And I give a lot of good tips around, you know, how to create and make interventions more engaging, how to motivate your client. Um, I go over the different types of methodologies that we sort of briefly touched today. Um, And on my website, if you subscribe with your email, you'll get the, handout that we kind of discussed today. Um, But also once you join the email list, you'll be getting a number of different handouts that will give you different tips, strategies, um, exercises for a number of, you know, different things, depending on, you know, what you're looking for. And you can also schedule a free 30 minute consultation where we can kind of get to know each other and see if um, I can provide what you're looking for, whether it's for your child, for you, for speech, educational, mentorship, um, you know, anything regarding that. And right now I do predominantly provide online services, but I am in the like North Beach area, sort of like mm. Embarcadero area. So I am open to doing um, in person. You're talking
0: about San Francisco.
1: Oh, well, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Just like but, but
1: you have to be more targeted than that, right? Because San Francisco is so big.
0: Yeah, I mean if you Oh, I guess people would not you, know, right? Not everyone. If you are not in it. San Francisco, if you say somewhere in uh, I don't know, Berlin.
1: <laughs> Berlin. You know,
0: uh, hit, hit <laughs> Rachel up and uh, she can she can figure out the zoom for you.
1: I probably could. <laughs> I probably could. I could probably figure it out. Um but yeah, and of course, yeah, I'm so sorry. In San Francisco and the North Beach area, though, more specifically, because San Francisco yes. um, is pretty large and I am open to doing... That's induction. where we meet. Exactly. Yes. That's where we meet. Um, so, yeah, I kind of provide like hybrid ser- like setting services. Um, and then something exciting, too, I just launched a young entrepreneur workshop um, and it's really exciting and I've differentiated it for like varying age and ability levels. Um, But it kind of just briefly touches on what it takes to be a young entrepreneur, you know, Uh how to market. We go over terminology, um, you know, Like demand, supply, you know, product, things like that. They can think of their own product. We do like a brainstorming session. There's collaboration. Um, And that's really what holistic learning is all about. It's project based learning that is multidisciplinary you know we're not just sitting here targeting how to read or how to do this math problem like no it needs to be functional you know in a natural environment something that's motivating to them um, Mm. where they can be creative too and so then you're addressing all you know a wide array of skills literacy skills math skills technology skills we you know depending on age level, you create a logo on Canva, you know, a flyer that you can put around the neighborhood, um, just certain things like that. So in the process, you're, you're just learning so much, you know, and having fun too.
0: Yeah, that's, I think it's an element of business school right there. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Follow Rachel, uh, visit her website, uh, free, uh, schedule free 30-minute consultation with her. Uh, you'll get immense amount of value, and it's free. How can you say no to free, right? Um, Follow us, Sublime Studios on YouTube, Sublime Production Studios on on Instagram. Uh, Stay vigilant and be open for change, try new things, uh, and uh, invite people who can help you with this into your life.
1: Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. This was such an incredible experience. Um, like I told you before, this I, I was a little bit nervous, and I think at times I might have talked a little bit fast, and I felt my heart, you know, beating I, a little bit faster. But I really—I never raised
0: my hand fun. though, so I was honest. <laughs> <understanding. laughs> yeah.
1: Thank you, but yeah, this is just awesome. Cool. So thank you.
0: Love it. Um, we're done. Uh, that was. Um, yeah, I love your like business school kind of component and uh, maybe in a couple of years when you when you make your first 15 million dollars <laughs> we'll have you as an entrepreneur on our podcast. I Cheers. love it. Bye.
1: Bye. <laughs>